everyone. Welcome to Seth Rudetsky's Back to School. This week I have the hilarious Mario Cantone. And you'll hear he talks a lot about his mom. He has some really great mother stories. So I thought I'd, I thought I'd haul out one of my own. So this is one of my, my mother's classics. It was right after she was getting divorced from my father. By the way, getting separated. It took them 30 years to get divorced. That's another story. So they just split up and she said she was you know, kind of driving around in a weird kind of depression haze. So she's like, oh, I'll cheer myself up and I'll get an ice cream cone. So she's like eating the ice cream cone. And like I said, in this kind of full depression haze. And then she's like, oh, wow, there's a stop sign. That's interesting. Ice cream, ice cream. She's like, there's another stop sign. <laughs> she's just rolling through stop signs in a weird haze. She pulls into her driveway and right behind her pulls in a police car. So she's freaking out. She's like, I went through two stop signs. I'm going to get a ticket. And then she's like, and he's going to say to me, and by the way, this is Salary Desky special. He's going to say to me, you were so busy eating your ice cream, you didn't notice the stop sign. Now, by the way, I don't know what policeman would say, you were so busy eating your ice cream, but she's like, ha, I've got to get rid of this ice cream cone. So then she's also thinking, oh my God, I need to put on my glasses because my driver's license says I have to drive with my glasses on. So she's like, ha, got to get rid of the ice cream, my glasses, ice cream, my glasses. So she shoves the ice cream cone in her pocketbook and then takes out her glasses. But of course, the ice cream got all over her glasses, but she decided to remain blank face. So she puts on the glasses, dripping with ice cream, right as a police officer walks over. And she's just like, can I help you, officer? But refusing to acknowledge that her glasses have ice cream dripping down them. So apparently, she claims he was like, are you all right, ma'am? You know, you just pulled through two stop signs. And she's like, am I all right? I will be soon. By the way, that's not an answer. And the end of the story is he wound up just escorting her to the front door. I guess he was like, she's so crazy. I mean, what did he think that he's looking in and she's just a, a middle-aged woman in full makeup, full glasses, ice cream dripping, and she's just not acknowledging. Can I help you, officer? Um, the end of the story is she doesn't drive anymore. All right, enjoy Seth Rudetsky's Back to School with Mario Cantoon coming right up. Dreading morning classes. Stealing bathroom passes. Football. Drivers and SATs. Bullies that attack me. Why do I have back knees? Jock straps. Training bras. Frenemies. We remember back then. It's like freshman year again. Ready, steady, now you're in it. Pencil stop this any minute. Zach Rudetsky's back to school with Mario Cantone. Hey everyone, it's Seth Rudetsky. Today's guest is hilarious comedian, writer, actor, Anthony from Sex and the City, The View, Chappelle Show, high school production of Guys and Dolls. It's Mario <laughs> Cantone. <laughs> Hi, Mario. That was my high school production of Guys and Dolls. I was quite good. And I choreographed all the jocks too. Okay, well, we have to go back to the beginning. So first of all, the family, you're like one of a thousand or something, right? Um, no, I'm one of five and a half. My oldest sister was the one that my sister married, who passed away a few years ago. She was the reason why I got into show business. She went to Emerson College, which I ended up doing. And she had a lot of theater friends and gay friends. And I just knew all of this was okay because she was the one that I admired the most. My mother was in show business earlier. And she used to make me sing. And then she hated the fact that I was gay. So, you know, she used to make me sing the double album set of Carnegie Hall, Judy Garland's album, on the coffee table. I knew every word at two years old. I swear to God. And she would make me sing it. And then I grow up and I'm gay. And I'm like, really? You're upset? Mixed messages, Ma. What the fuck? <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> by the way, your hair looks a little Judy Garland right now, I just realized. You know what I call it sometimes when it gets pointy down here? Like Bob Eubanks. Remember Bob Eubanks had that widow's peak? I do. Yeah. It's not a compliment. <laughs> no, it's not. 
<laughs> okay, so hold on. So you go to high school in the 70s. Were you scared about going to high school your first year? Were you like, oh my God, I'm gonna get picked on because it's so big? Or were you excited about going? Let me go back a little bit. In junior high school, which is now called middle school, because people keep changing shit <laughs> and the old people don't like it. Um, okay, so in sixth grade, I did this huge production of Peter Pan. And I insisted on being Peter Pan. I was like, I know it's usually played by a girl, but tough shit. He's a boy. Watch the Disney movie. And then from seventh grade to like ninth grade, I got picked on a lot. I told my mother that I was being bullied a lot. And I was afraid to go places with them for fear I would run into somebody that called me a faggot. Mm. And I, when I finally told her, she was like, I'll take you right out of that school. I'll call them. I'm like, no, just leave it. It'll be fine. We'll get through it. I never got hit, but I would sneak out or... I was bullied a lot. And, you know, boohoo. So what? Get over it. That's how I feel about that, too. Toughen up. There was a couple of guys that were horrible to me. And then once I went into 10th grade for some reason, something happened where I all of a sudden was protected by those same guys that fucked with me in junior high school. It was very weird. You don't know a transition point when that happened? You can't think of a moment that made them turn? Well, I'll tell you, I was sitting in front of one of them in French class. And he's still my friend. He was the captain of the football team. And I think I just humanized myself to him in like a day. And he protected me constantly. We had this emotional love affair. It was very interesting. I mean, I was out of the closet in like, you know, 75. I remember saying to my friend Michael from high school, I was like, you're gay. I'm gay. That's the situation. I mean, I didn't announce it on the fucking loudspeaker, but I knew I was gay and I was out to a few friends and a few cousins. And that was it. I mean, I was out and I was protected. And I also had a teacher named Jim Romano. He passed away a while ago. He was gay. And he just was like my therapist, my teacher. I knew it was okay. Before we get into that, just give me a typical day in high school. Like you had so many people in the house. Who would wake you up? Would you all have breakfast together? How'd you get to school? No, breakfast together. Well, look, this is the thing. We had five kids in my family, but it was like Marion, Camille, Teddy. They were like close in age. Then there was a 10-year difference between me and my brother, Teddy. Whoa. And then it was me and Joey. Joey was seven years younger than me. So I was kind of alone in it. So you just got yourself up, got yourself breakfast, got the hell out of the house. Yep. Okay. So what was your easy class in high school? And I don't mean like theater and chorus. What was the class that you were always able to ace that was academic? English. And, you know, um, we actually had a theater arts major in Stoneham High School. We had a theater arts major. My junior and senior year was started by a couple of teachers there. And I did two years of it. In my junior year, I directed You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. I don't know what the fuck I did my senior year. But yeah, it was a public school. And then I think a year or two after I left, they had a gay straight alliance. Whoa, in the 70s? I made a big difference in that school. I did. Wait, you- I don't realize it, but I did. You think that- I didn't start it, but I was so out. I was the president of my junior class. Hold on, we got to clarify the out thing because you you were sort of like, oh, I told a couple of people and my cousin. So what do you mean by out? Like who actually legitimately knew? I told a few people. I never dated anybody, a girl in high school. I was in love with some boy that was completely unrequited, but he was my best friend at the time. He was a track star. And his name was Billy. And I just used to relate to the front runner. Remember the front runner, that book by Patricia Nell Warren? Patricia, yes. About the Olympic track star that they were supposed to make into a movie with Jan Michael Vincent and Paul Newman, and they never did. He was like my Billy, except he wasn't shot. I just gave away the ending of the book. That's another good story. I remember being with my sister before I even came out to my sister. I was 16 years old, and I was in New York visiting her because she lived in Greenwich Village. And we went to a bookstore, and I was buying The Front Runner for a friend of hers, this gay guy, Bobby, who was a friend of hers, and I was buying it for his birthday. 
and I had already read it. And I go to the front and I give the guy the money. It was at Rizzoli's in the village. And this queen behind the counter took my money and he went like this. You know, he dies in the end. And I went, I know. I read it. Oh, my God. We left. My sister was fucking fuming. And she called the store and she complained. And yeah, about that. <laughs> oh, that makes me so angry. Oh, yeah. Well, there was a lot of that. When you're young and you're so aware and it's that time. Like, I remember doing Provincetown for the first time in, like, my freshman year in college. You know, I was 19 doing stand-up in clubs there and shit and cabarets. And they were not a lot of kind people. I mean, shows were fun, but they were some really vicious people because you're young and you're out and you're fucking 19. And that's not the way it was. That's, that's the way it was supposed to be. Okay, so this front runner you had a crush on, give me an example of like the most painful heartbreak moment with him where you kind of maybe thought something would happen and then it didn't. We went to Providence to see Earth, Wind & Fire in concert. <laughs> and you know, we were in the same bed, but you know, nothing happened. And I didn't try anything. And you know, he was, but he knew that I really loved him. It was, it was odd. And I'm still friends with him to this day. You know, he's married to an Italian girl. But he also, even after... Like he knew that I loved him and, you know, we still hung out and there were, I'm being at a dance one time and some guy from another town was picking on me, was fucking with, and he, they got into a fight. He beat him up over me. So, you know, there's that. That makes me feel good. But it's nice because even though he knew he wasn't scared, he didn't have the, uh... But there was a thing about him thinking that maybe other people would think. Do you know what I mean? He had a thing about that. So he got a little, there was one point he was like, don't you ever think that this could be anything more than a friendship, like he did that one time. But he's, you know, he was a good guy. He's a good guy, still cute. When I played Boston about two or three years ago, he came with his wife. You know, you talk about being gay in high school, but it's so funny you could be gay, but nothing's actually happening. I mean, did you have any action in high school oh, at yeah. all? Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What? With whom? Many, many. <laughs> I was messing around with many boys in my hood, and there was a few in high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So hold on. So in high school, you know you're gay. You're having these one night flings, and you're I'm in having love with one night flings. I'm having like you know, let's go downstairs in the basement and mess around a little bit. You know, we're not like making love. Yeah. Just yeah, messing yeah. around. You know what I mean? And there was no intercourse. Okay. Just playing. It's a G-rated show. Okay. So hold on now. <laughs> now, what about religion? Did you have any shame? Were you Catholic? Yeah, I was Catholic. My mother was Catholic. My father was Catholic. But they never really went to church. I mean, I went to Sunday school because it was the thing to do. And I, you know, I did my confession and confirmation and all that communion, all that stuff. I confession? did all those. Did you say, and I went downstairs and had five minutes of hanky-panky with nah, the boy? No, no, no. I'm not going to tell him that. It's none of his fucking business. <laughs> then what are you confessing what to? You, do? Uh, you know, I talked back to my mother. All my confessions were bullshit. And I didn't go a lot. You do your first confession. I did a few more and I was done. My mother never forced Catholicism on me, but yet she was not good with me being gay. But yet, you know, my sister's best friend, Harold, was over every holiday. He was gay. He's still in my life. You know, he was another reason why I was okay about being gay. Between him, my teacher, and the rumors of me and my teacher, Jim Romano, there were teachers talking that we were like messing around, which was completely untrue. I went over his place one time late in my senior year and showed me some artwork and he was living with his lover and... There's a New York Times article that came out during Laugh Whore in 04 about going back to my high school and I went to Jim's home, my teacher's home, and he told the Times that he came out to the teachers because of me. Because he's the reason why I came out. He made a difference in my life. It's amazing. So, hold on a second. You have this teacher- You didn't think you were going to get this much, did you, Seth? No, dear. So you have this teacher. How did he officially tell you he was gay back in the Because I knew. I just had a, I knew. I mean, I had seen friends of my sister, so I just kind of knew and- 
I don't know. I remember we read Boys in the Band in theater history. We read some, like, I read a monologue from it in front of a bunch of people. He was very cool. And then there was Kathy Chase, who was this other teacher, who was very cool. Very cool lady. I just had enforcements. I was lucky. But did he literally say, this is my lover? Or was he like, this is my roommate? No, he finally kind of said, because I was like, come on. He was like, no, I know. I know you know. It was kind of unspoken at first. And then we were like, then he was showing me artwork that he did. And I finally met his lover, Cosmo, at the time. And then you inspired him to officially come out to the other teachers. Yeah. Ooh, brava. It sounds like you have these great teachers. Who was the teacher that was not great, though? You had to have at least one. There was one teacher who was very nice to me, but she did not like gay people. She said a few things. Her name was Lois. I remember she was teaching a class, like lyrics and American popular music, and she was doing Tommy, and she was saying there were like seven evil things. And when it came to Uncle Arthur, it wasn't pedophilia, it was homosexuality. Oh, wow. And my friend Maria Gentili, who went to high school after me, got that changed. She said, Mr. So-and-so, don't you think it's this? And she got that changed. Oh, wow. Good for her. Yeah. What was the most trouble you ever got in with your parents in high school? Trouble was just, you know, my mother was a nut. I didn't get hot peppers on her sandwich and she flipped out. You know, she was a table tipper. But she wasn't like, you're actually grounded. It was just screaming and throwing things? Yeah. I remember coming home from the party after you're a good man, Charlie Brown, and the girl who was playing Lucy fell asleep at the wheel. And that's how I got the scar. Oh, on my lip. And whoa. I remember going to the hospital, getting stitched up. My father showed up. And then I got home. My mother looked at me and she started to cry. I'm like, mom, fine. She was like, she was very tough and brutal and judgmental. And then so fragile at the same time. You know, she was a lot of things. She was a compulsive gambler. She was a bookie. Compulsive gambler. So were you nervous about money in the house? No, because by the time we moved when I was two from Everett, Massachusetts to Stone, Massachusetts, she had quit booking and she had quit gambling. My father became a bookie after that. She taught him to be a bookie, but he didn't bet. There's a difference. Ask any Italian. There's a difference. If you're booking and betting, it's like selling the cocaine and doing it instead of just selling the cocaine. So we were okay money-wise, but you know, we weren't rich. We were just middle class. But did she say to you, you better never gamble because you'd be like me? Oh, yeah. She'd always say to me, you can't hold on to a dollar. And I'm like, well, what about you? And this is the funniest thing. Here she was. She would do insurance scams. She burnt the house down for the insurance money. Years before that, she had the house robbed for the insurance hold money. Hold on, hold on. How do you know she burned the house down? Oh, I know she did. She had my cousin Tommy burn the house. The bottom of the house burned. We lived in a fucking mobile home in back of our house for a year. But did she say, take out your photos tonight, something may happen? No, she didn't. My fucking Charlie Brown dolls were all the plastic ones. They were like, oh, warped. My Freddie the Flute, which was phenomenal, melted like this. It was like, damn me. I mean, seriously, it was horrible. My albums were warped. It was a horrible thing. So we burned the house down and have the house robbed. Who robbed and where'd the stuff go? Oh, this is a great story. The house got robbed like four or five years before she burned it. So I remember looking under this plastic tarp in a closet downstairs, and there's the television that got stolen. <laughs> so I ran upstairs, and I was like, Ma, Ma, they brought the TV back. This is in front of all her friends. She was fucking furious. You had to open your big mouth. I mean, she went off. She went off. <laughs> You're both idiots. Let's <laughs> be honest. Yeah, it was it was not good. But she would, yeah, she'd get mad about stupid things. Like I couldn't say, "Ma, be quiet." What would she do? She wouldn't hit you, would she? She never hit. They threw things, and we ran. 
Like, what would she throw? Oh, she'd throw spoons and magazines and stuff. She'd tip tables, you know, I'm going to get the spoon. You know, she never hit us, but she was threatening and scary. Good material. I got a lot of good material about it. And my father was like moody and judgmental also, but he was warmer. He was kinder. He could say, I love you. She couldn't. Did you know she loved you though? Mm, I think so. Yeah. I don't know. I think, yeah, I do know she loved me because I could see when it came down to it, the protection was there. She just couldn't show it to any of us, really. She was not good that way. Well, her, you know, I didn't know my grandmother. I didn't know any of my grandparents. Her mother was the last grandparent to die while I was alive. I was born December 9th and she died December 25th on Christmas day after she made the meatballs. Can you imagine that scene? People carrying, oh my God, you know, they were flipping out. She's dead and she made the meatballs, you know, going off. And so I didn't know her, but supposedly if you talk to my siblings, they loved my grandmother. They loved her. She was warm. She loved the Cantones. But if you talk to like the Chirellos, my Aunt Mickey's kids, they hated her. So she was, you know, she's probably a cold woman when she didn't like you. So that coldness was in a lot of those women, a lot of those women. And when you were in high school, what were you hoping your adult life was going to be? Were you thinking you were going to be a stand-up or an actor or what? What were you thinking? I knew I was going to be an actor and a stand-up, yeah. I didn't know how to do anything else. What was your fear, though, that your life might be? I don't think I had fear back then. I do now, but I don't think I had fear back then. I had a lot of drive and, and no fear. The fear set in once I went into stand-up professionally after a year or two of that. And, you know, I was doing straight stand-up clubs. I was doing Catch a Writing Star, the Comedy Cell, the Improv. You know, I would do the duplex once in a while, but I wasn't doing, like, gay cabaret clubs. I did sometimes, but my main gigs were those straight gigs with Ray Romano and Dom Arrera and all those comedians that came up with me. And it's... That's what I was doing. So that fear of being called a faggot at one o'clock in the morning from the back of the room while you're on stage doing stand-up, and it did happen once in a while. So it was scary. There was probably more homophobia with a couple of guys, not all of them. Most of them were great in the stand-up world. Most of them were great. In the Boston stand-up world, it was terrible. Except for Stephen Wright, who I adore. He was the one that was like, you're so talented, and he was just lovely to me. But there was a couple of well-known Boston comics that were terrible to me. Now a couple of my really good friends, and I love them. But back then, they were not good with the gay thing. Well, it's the 70s. Can you think of a classic joke of yours in high school that brought the house down? I don't know. I remember it really killing, though, all of it. As a teenager? Oh, yeah, I would kill. It was crazy. But you weren't acknowledging you were gay. It was more about life observations. No, and even, even my first years in stand-up, professionally, I never said I was gay, but I certainly didn't talk about going out with women. I didn't lie. I was doing impressions of Betty Davis and Julia Child. If you didn't know, you were an idiot. But I still don't talk about it that much because if then you're a fat comedian doing fat jokes. I don't want to do that. It forced me to really uh, stretch into original material that no one else was doing at the time. In high school, what would you do as Julia Child? What was your spin? Oh, that was my first impression. It actually happened in junior high school. I did, I just made a crepe Suzette. I did a sketch about her making a crepe Suzette. And someone told me I should do Julia Child. And I watched her and I was like, okay, I got this. And then in college, when I was in the Emerson Comedy Workshop, I did Julia again, but this time I did her rolling a joint. (laughs) She actually took a screen out of the kitchen window to scrape the pot on. And and then all the seeds of the and the twigs would just roll down the bottom. It was like this whole thing. Yeah. That's really good. My God, your voice so changes. That's so good. It was fun. It was fun to do. Who were you obsessed with star-wise when you were in high school? Well, you know, I had Jan Michael Vincent's picture right here in my bed. 
God. And my mother was like, what the fuck? I mean, and I had David Cassidy pictures, but I had Lily Tomlin all over the place. I had Robert Klein. Steve Martin was a big one for me. Richard Pryor. Wow. It was all stand-ups. Yeah, mostly a lot of stand-ups. I think my first concert I ever saw was Lily Tomlin. Symphony Hall in Boston. Not a rock star. Nope. And I saw Steve Martin there too. What was the worst grade you got in high school? Oh, forget it. F's. It was like A, theater arts. My biology was like A, but then it was like fucking geometry, F. I mean, like algebra, F. Oh, bad. Because I didn't try. I didn't do it. I didn't study. I just was like, I'm not doing this. What about SATs? Oh, the worst. I basically made designs. Cats. (laughs) Dogs. Stars and constellations. With the dots? Yep. That's what I did. (laughs) How'd you get to Emerson? Because my sister went there. She was the first recipient of the Carol Burnett Award. And I got some good recommendations. But I auditioned for Juilliard and NYU. And they said, your SATs are way below NYU standards. So I didn't get in there. I didn't get in. And I didn't get in Juilliard either. (gasps) So, you know. So I went to Emerson. It was my last choice. Because I didn't want to go because my sister went. I was like, I don't want to do the same thing. But I went and it it changed my life. It was a great school at the time. You can't get in there now. At the time, they'd let a hobo in. Do you remember learning how to drive? Was that a big deal? Yeah. Oh, here's a good story. So I lied to my sister, Marion, one time and said, let me pull the car. And she was driving. She was a neurotic anyway, backseat driver. Watch out, my side. You know, she was like, well, what happened? <laughs> you know, it was five miles down the road. I said, I have my permit. I got my permit. She's like, you have your permit? I was like, yeah, let me just pull it in. Let me just let's switch. And so we just, I was just coming down the hill and I went into the garage. <laughs> and it was a two-door garage. And in the middle of the two doors was like a, a divider. So I pulled in slowly, and instead of putting my foot on the brake, <gasps> I put it on the gas, and it was like, <sighs> and it crashed, not even the door, the middle. So my sister flipped, she flipped out, and blah, blah, blah. She was, she just went off. So my mother comes down, and she's like, oh, all right, well, she wasn't even upset because she called the police and told them someone smashed into the garage, and she got the insurance for it. So her thing was like, oh, it's a, this is a ready-made insurance scam. Thank you, kid. Appreciate it. So that's why she wasn't mad. How about that? She didn't get mad at that. But she got mad that I left the hot peppers off a fucking submarine sandwich. Well, she can't sue you for that. Now it's time for This or That. In this segment, I make my guest choose between two pop culture sensations from their high school years. Were you Close Encounters or Star Wars? At the time, more Close Encounters. Would you see a movie more than once? Were you one of those people? (gasps) Oh, yeah. Like, over and over. Like, all the re-releases of the Disney movies, forget it. I go to all of them. Sleeping Beauty, I slipped through three times. Wow. Scream every time Maleficent came on the screen. I remember seeing Puffin stuff with Jack Wilde and Mama Cass. Sat through that three times and just come back, like, in, you know, four hours. You wouldn't have to pay for a second ticket. You would just stay there. No, I'd sit there. Yeah. I'm not going to kick me out. Fuck you. (laughs) No one's coming anyway. Okay. Uh, were you Judy Garland, Star is Born, or Barbara Streisand, Star is oh, Born? Oh, Judy Garland, Star is Born. But Barbara was your year. I know, but I, I knew even then that it was a bad movie. <gasps> her performances, her musical performances are some of the greatest in screen history. No question about that. Okay, good. But as a movie, it's a horrible movie. You don't build a house riding a horse wearing a poncho. Now, Norman Lear shows, were you all in the family? Jefferson's, which one was your show? Good Times was even more so for me. Mm. How come? Why was Good Times better? I loved Esterol. I loved John Amos. I loved him. I still love him. I thought he was hot and I thought he was good. And I don't know. But if you really want to know my favorite Norman Lear show, the one that I take out of all of them, 
was Mary Harmon, Mary Harmon. I knew you were going to see Mary Harmon, the weirdest one. Newt was brilliant. Watched it every day. I didn't even understand it. I was, oh, I was shocked. I knew this was brilliant. I have the box set of all 365 episodes, including some Firmwood Tonight's. Okay, in terms of blonde sex symbols, were you Ryan O'Neill, Robert Redford, or Paul Newman? Oh, I was Robert Redford. And I remember doing this movie quiz show that he directed. I had one scene in it. And um, he let me improvise it and just do what I wanted. He was great. And he was, he was very, he was in the early 90s, but he was very weathered at the time. You know, he aged harshly. He was in the sun a lot. And I remember him, after certain takes, putting his arm around me and that's great. And, you know, just, you, you can even go further, say this, say whatever you want. And I'd just be looking at him and be like, Jesus, I used to jerk off to this guy. This is unbelievable. I hope he told him that. No, I didn't. <laughs> okay, maybe one day. Now, in terms of blonde sex symbol ladies, were you Farrah Fawcett or Cheryl Ladd? I was Farrah Fawcett. Who's the other one? Cheryl Ladd, who took over. Yes, I liked her, but no, Farrah Fawcett was the original. I liked her more. I didn't like change. Because <laughs> she got replaced. Okay, thank you. Comedy-wise, were you SNL or were you Carol Burnett Show? Both of them. I love them both. Are you kidding me? But the Carol Burnett Show, yeah, if I had to pick one. What was your favorite Carol Burnett sketch? I loved Torchy's song. <laughs> <laughs> when she did the Torch song thing. In terms of nerd families, were you Little House on the Prairie or the Waltons? The Waltons. <laughs> wow, you were old school nerds. Yeah. Did you want your family to be like that? No, I knew they wouldn't. I, 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 that's the one thing I knew early on. I was like, this is never going to be father that knows best, so get over it and get through it. Did you want it to be, though? No. 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 Did I, did I want, you know, Donna Reed as my mother? Maybe. I don't know. Were you Brady Bunch or Partridge family? I was Partridge family. Because of the comedy? Yeah, because of the comedy, and they were more verbally abusive to each other. They really were. People look at that. They were verbally abusive to each other. So I like that. But I did love them both, but I definitely love the Partridge family more. Felt like home. And would you do outdoor games like handball, or were you like Pong? Wait, what were the games? Like, you know, handball. We used to play that against the wall. Yeah, no, my father played that at the gym. No, I would put on plays in my garage, film the Poseidon Adventure in my pool when I was like 16 on a eight millimeter camera. So yeah, those were my things. I had a kid jump off the upside down table off my porch and we caught her in the blanket. How risky was that that I was doing that? Who did you play in the Poseidon Adventure? I directed it. <laughs> okay. It was a two hour movie. How long was your version? Eight minutes. <laughs> those little films were eight minutes. Yeah. Eight millimeters or whatever they were, yeah. A solid eight. This is High School Versus Now where we find out how much my guest has changed since high school. Okay, so this is called High School Versus Now, where we're going to see if you've changed at all since high school. <laughs> Probably not. A couple of examples. So you have an assignment for English class. You can write about any civil rights struggle, and you see the struggle for gay rights as an option. Do you choose that? I certainly do. You choose it in high school, really? Oh, yeah. Well, with the way I was in high school, yeah. I mean, I didn't know who Harvey Milk was back then. I don't think Harvey Milk... Harvey Milk was already happening at the time, right? So I didn't really know. But if I had known about it, yeah, I would have written about it. I mean, I was reading The Front Runner and Boys in the Band. I mean, I, I was reading shit like that. But that was in private. You would still do it even though this, this Not report... Not so private. No, Boys in the Band wasn't. That was in theater history class. And then I was like, we had independent reading courses. And I was reading like Valley of the Dolls and looking for Mr. Goodbar. And my teacher was like, what the fuck? Okay, good. Miss Gower. And she was like... I was like, you just don't like sex in books. She goes, no, I just don't like it secondhand. I was like, oh, kudos to you, Ms. Gower. 
Oh, wow, brava. I love that you said that to me. That's hilarious. We really did. Oh, my God. Okay, well, then what about now? You're asked to do a comedy special, either hilarious Italians or ha-ha making homosexuals. Which one would you choose? Well, you know what I do is basically a combination of the two. Um, I'd probably do the gay thing because it would probably get made before the Italian thing because there's never been an Italian-American comedy on television. And don't say everybody loves Raymond because it wasn't. I won't. It wasn't. It was. It started off a little bit that way, and then it, you know, all of a sudden, there's two towhead kids. So no, it was not Italian American. So gay in high school, gay in your career. You have not changed. How about no. this? The local review of your high school production of Guys and Dolls has a student reviewer who writes, "Nicely, nicely song was done badly, badly." You see the student reviewer in the lunchroom. What do you do? I've done it. I did it in college. I was like, "What was your problem with it? Let's talk about this." And we talked about. It. I was like, "Well." I disagree with you, but you know, I thought it was good. And this is why I wrote this. And yeah. You'd handle it maturely. Okay, well, how about this? You're backstage at Caroline's. The walls are so thin. You hear Judy Gold and Caroline Ray saying, your act has gotten tired. Oh, I would barge in and scream at both of them. Take them both by their hair, drag them out of the room and throw them against the wall and go, really? I'm tired? You loudmouth motherfuckers. Sweet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Haven't changed. No. So now, if anyone in your high school is listening, anything you'd like to say to either your entire high school or a specific student in your high school or a teacher? Well, and I said it to him, Jim Romano. I I mean, I I already said it to him. I already thanked him. You know, he saved my life. But I would like to say to my whole high school, thanks for backing me up. Thanks for having my back. Thanks for looking at me in in a very special way because it was the beginning of it. You know, that's what kind of sent me on my way. I was lucky, man. I know it's not like that for a lot of gay kids. But we've gone backwards too, you know? I mean, look, to me in the 70s, the reason why it was like that for me, I think, because in my head, it was like gay liberation was accelerating. If AIDS didn't happen, we would have been way further along, I think, Mm. you know? So you were on the rise. You were on the rise of gay rights when you were coming up. Gay rights were on the rise. Oh, yeah. They really were. And what if a 14 or 15-year-old Mario Cantone is somehow listening to this? What would you want to say to him? Get ready. Because it's not all happy-go-lucky. My mother said it to me. She goes, it's a miserable business. I'm like, you just don't think I'm talented. No, I think you're very talented. I just think it's a miserable business. She knew from being a singer, and she knew from seeing what my sister went through. She was discouraging when it came to this business. But I was like, no, I got to do it. Because I got nothing else. I'm not going to be a baker, although I love to bake. So you would have warned yourself not to think the business would be easy. Yeah. You should do it because you'll be okay. You'll do fine. You'll crawl your way to the middle and you'll stay there, which is a very comfortable place to be. So you'll be fine. Just know that it's difficult and not fun. (laughs) (laughs) What a wonderful way to sum up the show. Um, Thank you, Mario. The highs are high, the lows are low. It can be really great fun and then it can be like, anyway, yeah. Yes, queen. You know. I've been there. Um, all right. Well, Mario Cantone, thank you for being here. Always hilarious. Well, this was a good one. This was really fun. When did you start doing this show? This is a good one. We started this concept uh, like around a year ago. This is my second season. Yeah, this is a good one. Ah, oh, thanks, Mara. Seth Rudetsky's Back to School is produced by Sarah Esikoff. Our theme music was written by me, Seth Rudetsky, and sung by me and Maggie McDowell. 
Our band was me, Seth Rudetsky, Mark Schmid, Carrie Meads, and Jim Hirschman. This episode was mixed by Sarah Esikoff. Seth Rudetsky's Back to School is a Sirius XM production.